I think one of the most uh, painful experiences in our human existence is the experience of betrayal. Uh, to be betrayed by somebody close to you is painful, it's devastating, it rocks us. And for many, it's an experience that we will never get over in this life. Uh, there's a, a famous writer, he's uh, writing in the 1950s, 19, 1950s, uh, Albert Camus, he wrote this, I used to advertise my loyalty he wrote this as in part one of his novels. I used to advertise my loyalty. And I don't believe there is a single person I loved that I didn't eventually betray. Wow. I guess that really strikes at the heart of the issue. Because it's very, very easy to put all of the emphasis on the fact that we can be, if you like, the victim of that betrayal. And that's a reality. But the other perspective that he brings into the equation as he writes this is that when I look at my approach, when I look at my experiences, what I realize is that at the core of my being, I also have a bigger problem that I can be the one who is the betrayer. My experience is that I can be the one who can fail others. I can be the one who lets somebody down. It's written in the character of Jean-Baptiste Clamont, who's a lawyer, and basically his life spirals out of control. It's in the book called The Fall. Spirals out of control as he opens up his heart and he talks about his self-loathing, his guilt, his hypocrisy, and his alienation from people around him. The write-up for the book, one of the reviews says this, Beyond depicting one man's disillusionment, Camus' novel exposes the universal human condition and its absurdities. For our innocence that, once lost, can never be recaptured. In other words, when we have been through that experience, when we are the perpetrator, when we are the one who is guilty, and when we are the one who is the victim of those experiences of betrayal and abandonment, once that is lost, once that truth is lost, his perspective is it can never be recaptured. Whether we are victim or perpetrator, we go through these experiences. The question is, can we recover? Is there a recovery possible? I think that this particular text speaks so powerfully to us. We can see here exposed to us a man who is going through just those experiences. It doesn't seem to end in hope, but we're going to think about it in three ways. Because one of the things that we realize is that as we see this, we realize that actually at the very core of this issue of betrayal and abandonment is our identity, who we are as people. First thing that we're going to see is this is a crisis of identity. Look at how it opens up. We're working through these 24 hours 
of the life of Jesus. Uh, and we're now reached the point where Jesus has been betrayed. He's been uh, handed over to the religious authorities by one of those who was the very closest to him. Somebody who he had been uh, spending three years with, somebody who he had cared for, somebody who had uh, given every appearance of being with him. So there's the first abandonment that we already have seen. We saw it last week, how Judas rejects Jesus and uh, hands him over to uh, the authorities. Now we see, uh, we break into the story, Jesus is in Gethsemane. We were looking at that last week. And we now see that those who have come to arrest him have arrived, they've taken him. And we see that all of those who had been with him just kind of disperse, they disappear We break into it and we see in verse 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Here he is, Peter. Peter has been, all the way through, Peter Peter has been the one who has uh, verbally given every um, commitment to Jesus. He's been the one who has on many occasions said, I'm not going to allow you to do this, I'm not going to allow you to do that, because I want want your well-being, I want your good, and Jesus has had to challenge him, confront him on many occasions. uh, Peter has been at the forefront of doing various things to show his commitment to Jesus, and now at this crucial point, what we actually see is that uh, Peter is now separated from Jesus. And he is uh, following at a distance, seeing how it's going to work out. I want you to imagine the scene. It's a night at night time. Uh, there wasn't the sort of street light kind of situation. You might have had uh, the odd lights, the odd burning lights, um, f- uh, torches burning in the, in the outside various people's houses in Jerusalem. You would have seen uh, the band who were with Jesus uh, carrying torches, walking through uh, the city center as they take Jesus to Caiaphas. Imagine the scene. Peter is with Jesus uh, uh, at a distance. He's following behind. He's kind of keeping an eye, maybe on the next block of houses. Maybe just keeping an eye where they're up to. Just following him little by little, but just keeping his distance, making sure that he's never been seen, just kind of blending into the scenery, following on, but keeping his eye on what was going on. At heart there, there's a crisis of Peter's identity, isn't there? He previously has been, without any question, openly committed as a member of the inner group of the disciples of Jesus. He has been at the forefront in the public uh, face, one of Jesus' people. That has been who he is. Our identity is wrapped up in that, isn't it? Who we are is very clearly disclosed to people around us. And now Peter is following at a distance. In other words, he's not quite sure now whether he is there. Everything that he had been confident of is now just disappearing 
It's kind of becoming unstable. He's not so sure. He is now following at a distance. He is the one following, however. What we see is that all of the other disciples who are with Jesus have now dispersed. They've just gone. Many situations. (laughs) You've probably experienced this at different times. You've had somebody say to you, yeah, I'll be with you. And various other people have said, I'll be with you, I'll be with you, I'll be with you. And, uh, and then when it actually kind of hits the fan, <laughs> you're by yourself. And, and there might be somebody just kind of following at a distance, but really you're kind of by yourself. You're on your own. Nobody is there with you the way they had promised to be. That's where Jesus is. Why do I say that that's right at the very heart of our identity? Because I think, as I've been working, thinking through this, what has come to my mind is this. Our identity is at least partly tied up in our relationships. The relationships that we forge, the relationships that we develop, Uh, They they are expressions of who I am. It's part of who I am. At least tied up in that. There are so many situations that you're aware of and I'm aware of where there has been a breakdown in relationship. And you would hear something like, he or she isn't the person I once knew. In other words, their activities, what they've done, what they've said, uh, the way things have worked out has ended up, they seem to be a different person. What they have done impacts the relationship. And right now, Peter's identity is at stake. There is a crisis in that identity. He is no longer self-disclosing himself to be a disciple of Jesus. The relationship that he has with Jesus seems to be falling apart. It's a crisis. His previous commitments are no longer being fulfilled. I would say that probably all of us can place ourselves in just that kind of situation in one way or another. If we're honest, I think all of us would be able to say that in some way, at some point in my life, I have not been the person that people thought I was. I have not been the person that people closest to me wished I was. I have failed them. I have let them down. I have not been in expressions of relationship the identity that I have claimed to be previously. That's a painful experience to be on the receiving end of that breakdown. But you know, it's also a previous, it's a painful experience, isn't it? When we realize that I am the one that has broken down in my relationship, in my expressions of behavior to fulfill the identity that I have claimed to be. It is a painful experience. 
We have now written insight as we read this. But if we look at our own personal experiences, I'm sure that we could relate to the turmoil that is going on in Peter's mind as he is following at a distance. Where he's feeling that that crisis. I should be the one. I should be not following at a distance. I should be confidently standing alongside that person. And the reality is, I find myself here. There's a massive crisis. I can imagine as Peter is walking along, kind of jumping between the shadows of one house to the next, keeping his eye on that band that are dragging Jesus to the high priest's palace, I can imagine that Peter is filled with conflicts in his mind. There is a crisis of his very identity that is going on. Now, it is one thing to go through that crisis with those around us, with people who we know, with people who we love. But we also know, if we are followers of Jesus, I reckon that all of us at some point will also be able to say, I've been like Peter. I have metaphorically been following Jesus at a distance. I've metaphorically been keeping out of the way. I've metaphorically been uh, questioning how deeply am I going to follow this Jesus in this experience, in that experience of life. We find ourselves metaphorically following at a distance. For some of us here this afternoon, we might not be followers of Jesus. And that might be the very reason why we are not prepared to commit. Because we think to ourselves, I know that I will not be able to follow successfully. I look forward at the next situations that making that decision to follow the person who I'm getting to know through the Bible, as I've been working through this, as I see the implications of being a follower, I recognize that I am not going to be able to follow. I fear some of the implications of being a follower of Jesus. There are challenges. There are real issues to come to terms with. There is a crisis. All of those are crises of identity. Who am I going to be? Am I going to be somebody who makes that final decision that I am going to be a follower? Or am I going to be somebody who makes that final crunch decision that I am not going to be? a follower of Jesus. I'm going to turn away. So the first is there is a crisis of identity. The next stage that we see here is there is a denial of identity. A denial of identity. Verse 58 says at the end, he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. I think that's really interesting. I can imagine for Peter at this point in time, there is still a hope in his mind. He's seen Jesus do remarkable things as he spent three years with him. 
He's seen him do incredible things. He's seen him be in a similar situation beforehand. He's seen him being taken by a crowd, about to be thrown off the peak of the temple, and he turns and remarkably finds that he frees himself. Look at what Peter does. He follows at a distance to see what the outcome is. Even at that moment in time, at the heart of his behavior is relationship. In other words, my relationship with Jesus right at this moment in time might still be recovered if he is able to do something the way I've seen him do it in the past. The way I've seen him respond in a remarkable way. My relationship with him might be intact if the outcome works out the way I hope. So I I think that this, in a sense, this little insight, awaiting to see the outcome, gives us a little underlining of the kind of turmoil that is going on in Peter's mind as he's following. Maybe there's a hope. But there's another aspect of betrayal that we see here. There is a wider betrayal that is going on. Where is Jesus taken to? He's taken to Caiaphas, the high priest. And the teachers of the law and the elders had been assembled. He's dragged to those people. And in verse uh, 60, 60, we say... Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Jesus is now in front of the high priest. Are you ready for this? The high priest of the people of God. That is a massive betrayal, isn't it? Jesus, Mark's gospel, gives us this little insight right at the very beginning. This is the beginning of the good news. The Messiah. The one who has been promised. One of the things that Matthew emphasizes right the way through his gospel is the idea that this is the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. Uh, enlivened through Jesus, brought about through Jesus. He is the king. He is the one, therefore, as both Matthew and Mark, and obviously Luke and John in their own way, are reinforcing is he is the one who has been promised right the way through the Old Testament. All the way through. In other words, these religious leaders should have been at the forefront of recognizing Jesus. They should have been at the forefront of declaring, this is the great news about everything that has been promised. This is the one who has been promised. And yet what we see is that the religious leaders are at the forefront of betraying Jesus. One of the things that the Bible makes really clear, in a beautiful way actually, 
is that it is both the Jews and the Gentiles, the Romans actually in this particular case, representations of both the people of God and those who were not at that point the people of God who ultimately reject Jesus. There is uh, no sense, there is no opportunity for us to think that there is a particular vendetta against the Jews specifically in the way that the Gospels are presented. Both are guilty. But one of the things that we see here is that those who are the religious leaders of the people of God are at the forefront of betraying the very words of God by betraying Jesus. John put it like this. He said, he came to that which was his own. He came to that which was his own. In other words, Jesus did not come. Have you ever noticed this? In general terms, Jesus did not come and preach his message to the whole of the world. He came to those who were his own, the Jews. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That is worked out in this moment, mostly. It's worked out throughout his life, but it is mostly worked out in this moment. This moment of crisis where the identity of Jesus is denied by those who should have known the true identity of Jesus. But it is denied at a deeper level, on a personal level, and the area where we can really come to get to grips with is because Peter denies it. Just in pitching for a moment... He's there just on the outskirts once again, out there on the edge with groups of people. And right at the center is this huge kind of, all of the power is at the center. The the, the religious leaders, Jesus on trial, right at the very center. Almost in a, well, no, not almost, in a deliberate kind of contrast to all of that power Jesus is challenged twice. Verse 69, a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. Servant girl. Secondly, servant girl comes to Jesus. And the servant girl coming to Jesus questions him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee. In other words, the question, the challenge is, it seems insignificant, doesn't it? It seems so small. Compared to all of the power going on in the middle, Peter is questioned by a servant girl. And yet, contained within that very question, is all of the potential threat of the outcome. His response is to deny it. I'd never twigged, to my shame maybe, I'd never twigged until this past week that Jesus is actually challenged by two servant girls. Look at that. Another servant girl saw him And said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, verse 71. Two servant girls challenging Jesus, one directly, one raising the point to those who were around him. 
Isn't that incredible? Challenging Jesus. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. In other words, the response of two insignificant questions has caused Peter to deny his identity. I am not one of the followers of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's raised to the point, hugely raised to the point of absolute crisis. Do you see how, having said that, do you see again how tightly linked identity and relationship are? I am not relationally connected to Jesus. My identity is not tied up in being in relationship with him. A denial of identity. The third we see is the beginning of a recovery of identity. Look at how it closes. Verse 61, sorry, uh, verse 74 and 75 says, Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter Remembered the word Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus had already said exactly what was going to happen. That's the first thing that we see in that. Jesus had previously told Peter exactly how he was going to deny him. Three times you're going to deny me. Three times you will deny me. Come on, I'll die for you, Peter said. And the outcome is, he denies him three times. Not because he has a knife held to his throat, but because he's questioned by two servant girls, and then finally the group of people around him. But look at how relationship is expressed in this. There is a crisis. There has been a denial of identity. But look at the final response. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. What does that say? I think it says that in the middle of all of this, at a deep level, Something was going on, which meant that that relationship was not broken. If that relationship truly was broken, he would not care. But he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Can I just say to you at this particular point in time, I reckon that many of us have been in that situation where our lives have not expressed who we are as believers. And we know that we have not lived the way we ought to live. One of the greatest encouragements is when it cuts us so deeply that we either really do or we metaphorically weep bitterly. 
when you are going through that, when you are experiencing that kind of emotional turmoil, do not reject it. Hold on to it. Because it is one of the most powerful expressions of the reality of what is going on inside of you. It is you that causes you to weep bitterly. It is you, the true identity of you. It is the fact that that relationship is not destroyed that causes you to respond in that way. But, having said that, okay, Peter might have the desire for that relationship. But what about the words of Camus earlier on? Relationship is lost. Innocence once lost can never be recaptured. Really? Well, thankfully not when it comes to Jesus. Innocence can be recaptured. Relationship can be restored. In fact, what we can now realize is that the very denial of Peter is absolutely essential to what Jesus is doing. The fact that Peter denies him is essential to the work of Jesus. What we've done over these past couple of weeks is we've recognized that that there is a connection. There is a connection back in time. Historically speaking, we read this in Psalm 88. You have taken from from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. Put those into the words of Jesus as he stands in the middle of that gathering. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7 says this, Awake sword against my shepherd. Awake sword against my shepherd. Against the man who is close to me. Who declares that? The Lord. The Lord says, Awake my sword against my shepherd. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You see, it was essential that Peter does deny Jesus. It's essential. Why? Why is it essential that Peter denies him? I wonder what would happen. Let's just put it this way. Imagine if Peter had managed in that moment in time to stand by Jesus to stand alongside him right at that crucial time, to stick with him. And Jesus dies, and he does the work of saving those who have rejected him. But Peter stays right alongside him and manages to tough it out. Where is Peter's salvation in the future? At least part of it, is in the fact that he's managed to stick it out. Yet everybody else abandoned him, but you know what? I didn't. I know that he did the work of saving me by dying for me. I know all of that. I know that that's going to believe it, but but I stuck it out. I was there. I stayed with him. What does that do? It strips the power of the work of Jesus to fully save Peter. 
And that, you might say, well, that, that's great. But you know what? I think we end up like Peter so often. Trying to do the work of saving ourselves. What does this tell us? It tells us that you know, how matter, no matter how much you or I abandon, betray, reject Jesus and end up weeping bitterly, he's gone through that to save us. He's gone through that by himself, without us. He has to do it without us. Otherwise, he can't effectively carry the guilt and the burden of sin for all of us if he's supported or helped by anybody. He has to go through it by himself. And the reality is, no matter how bad it gets for you and me, the fact that he has done that means that our relationship is restored in him. Built, knitted, made innocent again in him. There's a little section in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, that really reinforces this. In the midst of all of that, you've read, we've read it a minute ago, Jesus is being struck, Jesus is being uh, lambasted by people around him, he's being challenged, he's being hated. And then Jesus, at that moment in time, where, people, where Peter denies him for the third time, in amongst all of that, listen to this. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. You see, Luke gives us an extra little insight into this moment. That in the middle of all of that, where Peter is in the process of denying, rejecting identity... Where, where Peter is in the process of crisis of identity, denial of identity, Jesus is the one who is assuring him of identity, of relationship. Right at that moment in time, with all of that going on, Jesus has got eyes for one person. He turns around and he looks at Peter. I've heard that described in all sorts of ways. Some people have used that kind of picture to describe Jesus' anger. <laughs> Not in a million years for me. I am utterly convinced that when Jesus turned and looked at Peter, it was a look which conveyed at that moment in time, you might have denied me, but I've not denied you. I've not let go of you, Peter. You might be the one who's denying me. You might be the one who's bringing down curses on those who are accusing you. But I have not let go of you. In the middle of all of this, my eyes are on you. And I would suggest that that is the very reason why Peter went out and wept bitterly. Because filled with that, 
is that mixed, confused. He was with me. He was for me in the middle of all of that. And I've denied him. The great thing is, and we're going to see it as it unfolds, the relationship with Jesus and Peter is absolutely restored. It's actually symbolically restored as Jesus gives opportunity for Peter to express his love for Jesus on three occasions, in three ways. Three ways, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He gives him opportunity to restore this very moment. Why does he give him opportunity to restore this very moment? Because this very moment is precisely for the relationship that Jesus has with Peter. It's for the relationship. The fact that Jesus is going into this is precisely because he is saving Peter at this moment in time. And he has to do it alone. Innocence can never be restored. You know what? If that is our existence, if we can mess up, and as soon as, you know, like toothpaste coming out of a tube, once it's out, it's out. We can't get it back in. If that's what it's like for us before God, we have had it. But the great thing is, Peter tells us at this moment in time, we can mess up. We can deny. We can end up on our face weeping bitterly because of the experiences that we're constantly reminded that we are failing. And Jesus stands and looks at us as if to say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I know. I know what you've done. In fact, I knew that you were going to do it before you even realized that you were going to do it. I knew what you were going to do when you thought you were strong enough to not do the things, to not say the things, to not think the things. That you know that you are going through the turmoil of guilt and, uh, and a seeming, seeming as though relationship with me is broken. But I am looking at you so that you know that that relationship is not broken. Your identity in me is not destroyed. You are mine. That's what Jesus says effectively to Peter. That's why Jesus was in the middle of that gathering at the high priest's palace. Precisely because he was saving Peter for relationship with him. Precisely why he's saving you and me if we trust in him for relationship with him so that we can mess up and still have our identity in him. It's grace. 